fear can become so great and overwhelming that you're paralyzed and you can't react. You know, in the case of someone getting so scared that their mind is saying one thing, but their feet's doing something else and they trip and fall. They're, they're paralyzed. They're that scared. Coach, on today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast, we'll introduce you to a Hollywood movie writer-director as he talks about fear. How do we use it? Why do we love it? And how does it motivate us to make decisions? And the whole idea behind this episode is how do you properly, ethically use fear to communicate with your student-athlete prospect? That's coming up on today's show. It's time for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast with your host, unlicensed daycare provider, and America's college recruiting guru, Dan Tudor. Yes, Coach, this episode is all about fear, which is kind of appropriate because as we're releasing this episode on this day, it happens to be Halloween 2017. So the day is really all about fear and the fun association we have with it. Halloween is not really about scaring people and uh, and, and sort of being scared yourself. It's more about the fun that we have with fear. And what I wanted to do, and I've wanted to do this for for quite a long time, is talk about the idea of how we use fear to motivate ourselves, to move, to take action, and, and what it causes us to do. We react differently in fearful situations versus happy, relaxed situations. And I want to relate all this to recruiting. And, And are there ways to use fear to motivate your recruits properly without manipulating or tricking them. And it's, it's kind of a, a balancing act because you could definitely go too far and, and make it uh, about scaring them into a decision. And certainly there's stories of coaches that are doing that with, with uh, ridiculously tight deadlines or, or outright lying and negative recruiting. And, and again, using fear to manipulate. That's not what I want to do, but I do want to explore how we use fear in our daily lives and and how we relate to it and why in some cases we just love to be scared if we walk into a scary movie. And to aid in that, we enlisted the help uh, through this conversation with a Hollywood director, writer of of lots of different types of films, but in particular, the one that he recently released, which was a uh, suspense thriller called Be Afraid. And the gentleman in question that we're going to be talking to today is Drew Gabreski. He is located here in my home state of North Carolina and and travels really all over the country doing a lot with sports video and promotion and uh, does a lot uh, with mixed martial arts with the uh, stars in that sport and the coaches in that sport and and really just the coverage and events in that sport but also uh, has his own production company is very tied in with uh, with Hollywood and, and is sort of one of the rising uh, names in in cinema and just released early this year, his first full-length feature film called Be Afraid, a suspense thriller, which you can check out in the show notes. We're going to put links to the trailer in case you want to have some fun with your team and, and show that to, uh, to, to your team. Uh, and, and if, you're, if you're into scary movies as a motivating uh, factor for, uh, for your teams. 
But really what we wanted to do with him in this conversation was to really explore the topic of fear and how it gets placed into storytelling and why we relate so passionately to fear in storytelling. We just we just love scary stories and that genre in in Hollywood is one of the highest grossing genres. Suspense thrillers, horror films get a, a wide uh, wide distribution and a wide audience and there's a reason for it and that's why I wanted to talk to Drew about what he has found being the case of, of telling that fearful story the right way, what are the elements of it and again tying it all back to how we as coaches can use that in our daily recruiting the right way. So we're going to start off by just talking about fear and why as a society we're so in love with it and and how do how does Hollywood take it and and make a story out of it? And he's also going to touch base on some observations uh, that I'm going to relate straight back to you, Coach, about how coaches sometimes react to fearful situations in a bad way that actually harms themselves. And and then I'm going to follow it up as we end everything with some comments and observations about how to use fear and, and kind of translate what we hear Drew talk about uh, in in this uh, interview with how you can use it to to you to actually recruit more effectively and and find ways ethically and professionally to uh, insert a fearful aspect into your story uh, if that's something that you want to do so it's going to be an interesting topic we hope you stick uh, stick around and and listen to the whole episode it's a good conversation with director and writer and producer drew gabreski and we're going to get started with uh, with the interview by really asking and, and getting an answer to a very simple question which is why are we as a society so infatuated with fear and scary movies and just the whole genre why are we so attached to that um well i think it goes all the way back to like when you look back to to some of the pioneers um in this horror genre suspense genre form of filmmaking i mean go back to like alfred hitchcock like his whole thing was he i think in a sense well he did he identified that people get pleasure and delight from being scared you know i mean there's a there's a certain thing that happens to us i don't know if like certain chemicals are released in the brain and it goes throughout the body but um when we get scared or in many cases when we're in pain um and you can relate this to like a like a professional fighter fighter and fighting in the cage you know he's hurt he's beat up um but certain chemicals are being released that as he starts to win that fight he's getting pleasure and delight out of that it's 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 giving him that extra umph to finish this fight and to win and then when they win what happens they celebrate right no matter how hurt they are no matter how bloody they are they jump up on the side of the cage and they are full-on celebrating because all that all that that pain and and fear and everything has just been released and now it's suddenly this overwhelming amount of pleasure and delight. So I think the same thing happens. People, not everyone likes horror. Not everyone likes suspense thrillers. But the people that do, I honestly believe, and once again, this is going back to what Alfred Hitchcock um, identified, is that people get pleasure and delight out of it. So what's the difference uh, between... The difference between... Fear and suspense, or a horror movie and a suspense thriller. 
because that's what you know, kind of your your latest movie, Be Afraid, was. It's more of a suspense thriller as opposed to just outright horror. So, is there what is the difference between the two in terms of how an audience reacts, or maybe what you've observed, or what uh, Hollywood has observed? Is the the difference between those two genres? Mm-hmm. So, uh, typically, a, a horror film is is filled with certain ingredients that any uh, custom horror fa- fan per se viewer is is used to seeing these things i mean there's a list of them there's literally like a protocol that you follow as a filmmaker when you're making a horror film and and really the easiest way to break it down is it's it becomes more of like a you as the audience you become more of a spectator right you're not most horror films you are not emotionally involved because everything is thrown at you the blood the guts the gratuitous you know violence violence and everything that this filmmaker throws at you is literally so visual and in your face that you as an audience member just sitting there and it's you're you're a spectator and to me most horror films that's what it comes down to now a suspense film is more of the fear of the unknown you know what's lurking behind that corner right um everyday situations that we as human beings can relate to um, that causes us to be fearful that causes us to doubt that causes us to you know wonder like if, if I don't do this this could happen or if I do this this could happen you know and and, and that doubt can grow and right. the same thing can happen when you're watching a suspenseful film um, it's it's not showing everything it's not being gratuitous. It's setting up certain situations where you, the audience member, thinks that something really bad's going to happen, or you're given certain hints and feelings through the character, the main character, the protagonist, that this is probably going to happen, and it's set up that way. So for the next 20, 30 minutes of the movie, you're anticipating this scary, you know, terror moment right right which is the difference between horror and suspense i mean for me suspense and true terror is so much more effective than horror now granted and and at the same time you can have both i mean you can totally have both i mean we we are working on what i would call a, a straight on horror slash action film right now um, that we're just getting ready to finish the script. And I'm excited about it because this is more for like the horror fans. And unfortunately, our first film was marketed purposely as a horror film by the distributors where it really was not a horror film. Okay. It's more of a suspense thriller. So what happens is is that true hardcore horror fan is going in to watch the film and going, eh, this isn't a horror film. Right. What the, where's, where's the blood? Where's right. the guts? Where's the gratuitous this and that? And and they're bummed out and they're mad, right? <laughs> right. Whereas, you know, it should have just been marketed the way that it was set out to be in the first place. All right, so the difference in terms of how you know people react between suspense thriller and a horror movie... I'm just wondering, you mentioned the protocol for how you do those certain films. Emotionally, what are you trying to take the viewer through? What are you trying to... You have to, you're basically through the film you're managing their emotions. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that that's what I'm hearing you say is that you almost have to... You're almost in charge of when you want their heart rate to go up and when you kind of want them to be lulled into a false sense of security. I just like, can you explain sort of what that thinking is or the process is for as you're telling that story how you I guess how you manage their emotions well I, I think it all starts 
probably the most important thing is the characters. Mm. You know, if you can create characters that immediately pull people in, um, and I think one of the things is creating characters that are dealing with real life situations that we as human beings are faced with on a, on a regular basis. Now, granted, in this case, a, a crazy, suspenseful sci-fi thriller, there's, there's some outlandishness that, you know, chances sure. of that happening are pretty sure. slim. However, you immediately are brought in to these characters' lives. The characters are so well-developed, so obviously it starts with, the, with a great script, that you're pulled in. And once you're pulled in and once you can attach to these characters, once you can relate to them, then you start to set up the sequences of events. Right. So you're going on a ride with this, with this character. And obviously the, the, the bigger the roller coaster, the crazier the ride, right? So, so the um, story part of it, the story aspect has to be there. It's not just the act of something thrilling or something horrific happening, but the story, the background to it is, you're saying, the base of really then sort of propelling the rest of the film or the rest of that, what, what they're watching. Ex- exactly. And, and I mean, and, and like when I was studying film back in college, you know, obviously we... we uh, had some really great professors that took us through the anatomy of a great script, you know, and how a great script is 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 structurally developed, right? And I do believe that you have to somewhat follow those lines. I mean, today in today's world of filmmaking, a lot of those lines are blurred, but there's definitely this three-act process where at the end of each act, there's a major turning point that sets up the next act. Right. And I feel like without that, you kind of lose structure and you lose the flow. And a lot of films that that you know become misguiding in that sense they they just feel like it's just a big pile of of right. ideas that were smashed together and right. then eventually you just lose interest and you fall it right. just falls apart so i think it's important to follow those guidelines going from each act but it, it really it's a journey that you're going on with these characters and as the creator as the writer as the team um that's putting this all together in the first place it's it should be methodically thought out it's right. not just a great story that you want to tell and you're like okay we're going to tell it like this and no it's like you purposely have that big turning point at the end of act one that is going to go make the audience go whoa holy cow i can't right. believe that just happened right. now they're excited to move on right into act two and but the interesting part is that we're not thinking is somebody hearing the story? We're not thinking, oh, that's the act of end no, one. Here's be the beginning of act two. You shouldn't be thinking that at all. Exactly. It should be seamless. Like right. you shouldn't you shouldn't be thinking, oh, I know what they're doing. They're setting me up for this. So they're pulling me into this situation and that's gonna set up the big scare in twenty minutes. Right. No, I mean a great film again brings you into that world and you forget anything that you're dealing with in your own life. Right. And you're immediately put into those characters' shoes and their mindset, and you're off on this journey. Those are the best films. Right. The ones where you're starting to think, and you're starting to nitpick what's wrong, or God forbid you don't care about these people, right. which honestly are 80% of right. the horror films out there. I mean, tell Most me the, the ones that I've seen, tell I, me don't, the, right. I don't care. Tell me the last horror film that you, like true horror film that you watched where you've you really cared about the characters. <laughs> you, you don't, it's hard, you know. You don't. It, it's it's hard. I think that's what you know from you know Netflix. The the hit, the unexpected hit they had with Stranger Things. 
not not necessarily horror. That's more of a suspense thriller type of series uh, that they just now released the second season of. But you really cared about. It goes back to what you were talking about at the start. You care about the characters, and you really got either attached themselves to this, you know, really you know, cute rambunctious group of kids, or you identified with the terrified mom, you know, frantic, or you know. That kind of goes to what you're saying. I think that's what made the hit, not the fact that the story was all that incredible. It was a good story, but it was the characters. Yeah, and it's very sci-fi, too. And, I mean, let's face it, not everyone is into sci-fi. But what what they've done an incredible job at is, as you just just identified, the character development is incredible. But it's also this, like, very large, well-rounded group of characters that I feel like every walking life can identify with something in this film. Right. So that just makes it that much more mainstream, that much more marketable, and here they have, you know, this insane success. Right. This massive amount of success. I mean, I'll give you a perfect example. My wife does not watch horror. She doesn't really care for sci-fi. Suspenseful thriller, she'll, she likes, but as long as it only goes so far she just doesn't you know she deals with enough on a regular basis the last thing she wants to do is sit down and watch some really stressful right get the arm cut off or exactly but i think immediately she was able to relate to the 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 mom the the female lead i forget the actress's name but renona winona ryder Ryder. so she was she was immediately able to connect with that mom and what that mom was going through with losing a child so she was hooked Right. She was immediately hooked, and that's what that's what made her want to watch through the entire season. Whereas, you know, young teenage kids, that's easy. They yeah. come in; these kids are great. They're well developed. Their dialogue is is real. It's authentic, and and it's set in the '80s, man. I yeah. mean, it's like our my kids <laughs> yeah. are sitting here watching a film and watching how kids in the '80s lived, right. and they think it's the coolest thing ever. Right. You know, aside from all the great terror and yeah. supernatural. Yeah elements that they have coming into it so how does how does fear and maybe this is an observation or maybe it's part of the formula that you use in filmmaking but how does fear motivate people like if you're taking a story you're you're obviously something scary in the film happens and that motivates my ridiculous is i was wanting to ask this question because it seems like in every horror film that i've seen Something happens, they're scared, and immediately they run out back and get in, you know, they hide in the abandoned shed in the backyard, which is, you know, kind of like, that doesn't make sense. And you know, something bad. Yeah, let's go to the basement. (laughs) You know what? Why? So fear does cause us to do crazy, irrational things, but I'm just wondering, like, observationally, like, what, what do you have to keep in mind? Like, if something scary happens or there is fear, we know that this is the, emotion or the action that we want people to take so so just to be clear with with your question you want to know what the audience what what were what Char- were no like more for the audience or the are the actual character in the storyline yeah like for what what well maybe let's go both okay. so first let's start with the character let's start with the character. why why does a filmmaker sometimes give them an action in in response to fear that the audience does know, like, don't go into the shed, don't, don't go into the basement, right? Like, so what's the thinking there? Well, 
part of me thinks that the the movie is just garbage in the first place and you know they're doing everything they can to get that character down into the basement right so whatever whatever it is that they could come up with that makes sense and i've been there i've been at the table where we're ripping a script apart and we're trying to and and you're literally like you know it'd be really scary if they went into the basement so then you go back and you and you you set that up like how am I going to get that character down in the basement and typically that's a huge trap that you as the writer filmmaker are falling into and that's where I think in today's modern day audience they they immediately disconnect and go up throw their hands up in the air and go oh my god you're going to go down in the basement this is so stupid I can't watch this film so it becomes unbelievable not in an astonishing way but just like I don't believe that that doesn't make sense now now the proper way of doing it is to know your character inside and out. You know, the, one of the most interesting things in creating a film, and, and, and I've written, I've, you know, I've done my share of writing. Um, when you're writing something and you're writing these characters, you know, your average movie is two hours long. So you only have so much time to... Sh- you know, you're taking a, a tiny little window of this person's life... Right. And telling that story right. on screen. So you literally have to know this incredible amount of backstory on this character. You as the writer, as the creator, needs to know this. And the director needs to know it as well. And, and actually, I think it it's benefited me. It definitely benefited me on my last film, ghostwriting on it. Even though I didn't have a writing credit on it, I was heavily involved with the process of writing the script. And I knew that script inside and out and knew and understood my characters inside and out. So when it comes time to direct and direct your actors, just because it's none of that stuff's on the page, right? right? So you've got to be able to come. You've got to be able to convey to your actors that this is what's going through this character's mind. This right. is this is their backstory. This is what they've been up against the last 20, 30 years of their life, right? So going back to your question, if you've got to know your characters inside now. And if you know them inside now, and you understand how they would physically and emotionally react to a certain situation, to me, it's that much more real. Right. It's that it's that much. And and granted, now now here's the funny thing. So the funny thing is, is that I've always laughed at you know like Friday the Thirteenth mm-hmm. is is a perfect example. You know when the when the girl is running from Jason. What is what happens every single time when Jason pops out, machete up in the air, and the girl screams and runs? What happens? She trips and falls. Right, right. And you're watching this, and you're like, do people seriously trip and like? When is the last time that you, as a grown man, have tripped and fell? Right, yeah. you know, running from a situation, right. Right. or running to help a child, or whatever it is you're right. running to do. I mean, and and every single time they trip and fall. And I used to laugh at this, but I I kid you not, at a situation years ago, um, when I had taken my wife and my kids back to back to the hometown where I grew up in, and the and the rail the abandoned railroad tunnels where we shot in for the film Be Afraid. Um, I took them into those tunnels one night uh-huh. and we had a flashlight and it was actually my wife and my sister and my brother-in-law we're standing in this enormous empty tunnel and there were these giant like icicles like hanging off the ceiling because it was winter time and everything was frozen it was super creepy and where all, is this this is in uh, outside of Clarion Pennsylvania okay. and all of a sudden we heard this 
this cracking sound and it was like this wretched like i mean straight out of a horror film you know that some monster was just coming out of the ceiling is gonna swoop down on us and kill us all and my wife my wife's eyes got so big and what did she do she turned and ran she got about 10 feet away from us and she tripped and fell wow on nothing right she tripped and fell because her mind she was so scared and her feet were moving so fast that she just couldn't get proper foot placement so i I literally watched this happen i was like Holy cow. <laughs> they really do trip they and really fall. They really do trip and fall. It really <laughs> oh, does happen. Awesome. So look, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I, I'm a true believer that you need to know your you need to know your characters okay. in inside and out. So that's from the character point of view. From the audience any kind of motivator that that you're trying to get an audience to to feel. I mean, I guess at the core as I'm hearing you talk, Drew, the your job is to move them through the story. That's what, as a writer, as a as a producer director, you're you're really trying to get them to to move through the story and to stay with you and not yeah. throw up their hands and say, "I don't believe this." Right. So, at, I guess how are you using fear to either motivate or to keep the attention of an audience, especially like halfway through a movie when maybe they're not. You know the thing that jumps out and scares them. They're anticipating it by now, or they're starting to they're starting to think a little bit and say, "I wonder what's going to happen next," or "I bet this is going to happen next." Right. Well, I, I think that um, again, it's uh, it's you're taking them on a journey. So if you can bring them into your world or this world that you've created, and you can make them forget about everything else, no distractions. Like there's there's nothing more than I hate than like being in a living room at a house party and you're trying to watch a movie and people are disrupting and asking questions is that's why i'm a firm believer that you got to go to the theater you got to watch on the big screen everybody's supposed to be quiet not talk not be on their phone not chomping on pop you know there's a certain manners you have in a theater where you can literally get people to focus and escape it's all about especially in today's world like i mean we definitely have it it's probably the hardest it's ever been to get people to focus on something right? right um with all these with phones and text messages and and computers and my kids are doing it now they're sitting on a laptop watching a tv show and it drives me nuts it's like just watch the tv show or just be on your computer or just be on your computer pick pick which thing you want to be on but anyways it's getting people to forget what it is that's going on in their own life getting them to connect with the characters and go on this ride and i think once you have them hooked and once you have them on this ride, setting up those suspenseful elements that are going to grow throughout, and eventually you got to have your payoff. Right. I mean, eventually you have to have the big scare moments or those what I call the big cinematic moments where the monster's revealed, right? Right. Or the you know the, the the big final you know battle sequence i mean all depending on the film you know in our case it was it was identifying what it was that took this kid's son away and how is he going to get his son back and it comes down to the difference between horror and and suspense again right because if you're making a horror film it's it's as the film goes on, everything just gets bigger and right. bigger and bigger and, and, and bloodier and, and scarier, or the monster gets bigger. Um, I think in a suspenseful film, the suspense grows and gets so big, you have you have this this emotional roller coaster ride that you take your audience on, and then you have the big payoff at the end. 
Right. Um, I don't know if I answered your question. Yeah, no, that, no right. that does. Actually, you went down an area that I'll kind of maybe try to wrap this up with, which yeah. is the payoff at the end. Now, in a horror or a suspense thriller, that's with that big cinematic moment that that you're you're talking about. But what are you trying to do within that? I mean, because you, you've kept the audience on this ride, and now you have to send them home feeling a certain way, or they have to exit the theater feeling a certain way. What right. What is your thinking just in creatively as to what you want to try to do and with that payoff? And as things wrap up, how do you start to wrap up that, that story, that package? Well, I mean, for me, some of the best films are like, you know, M. Night Shyamalan, going back to Alfred Hitchcock, um, leaving more up to the imagination of the audience. I'm a huge, huge fan of creating and telling stories with that in mind. Um, I feel Is that like- because you've seen... a do people want that more? I mean, are they more satisfied if they sort of go home, walking back to the car, and they're talking about like what they think happened rather than having everything defined for them? I think any film that you can walk away from that you actually talk about afterwards is a win. Yeah. Um, because let's face it, nowadays we quite often walk away, you know, it's those spectator films mm-hmm. where they're just mindless, like I'm just going to sit back on the couch and watch this mindless horror action film or this you know blood and guts action film where I don't care about anybody but cinematically it's cool and it's got all these big monsters and it's got jump scares and all the typical stuff that I'm expecting but at the end of the day when you finish watching it you never talk about it again right. I think the most the, one of the one of the most I'll, I'll tell you what this is a perfect example if you can walk away from a suspenseful horror film and moments later or that night or the next day you suddenly find yourself looking over your shoulder (laughs) then they got you yeah they got you and there's only been a handful of films that have achieved that as of recent years ago we had a ton of those movies i mean they were constant like jaws perfect Uh example most stephen uh, stephen king films back in the day had all those elements where they created that sense of fear that stuck with you. They hit a nerve, right? They hit something in you that you're now gonna think about later. There was a film that came out a couple years ago called It Follows, a little indie film, I think that was made for like three or four million dollars that went on to have massive success in the box office. And I'll kid you not, man, when I was walking out of that, and it wasn't a perfect film, I mean, but there were definitely some elements that I thought were cool and unique, but sure enough, I was walking through the parking garage to my car and something made me look back over my shoulder. And I don't get, like these yeah. films don't scare me. I don't go home like right. not able to sleep or I got to sleep with a light on. Like I'm not, I'm not that. Right. But it made me look over my shoulder in this parking right. garage and I laughed. Yeah. I, I, I laughed at myself like they got me. Yeah. They fall and got me. So that's that fear element. Like if you can instill that in someone or if you can connect with someone emotionally and trigger that, where and, and it also goes into saying that I'm also a big fan of of scary movies that could happen. Mm, like, okay. could this happen? Sure. When you walk out of that film, to me, what's scary is if it could happen. Right. Um, but if it's just so outlandish and it's zombies and creature from outer space and all this craziness, to me, it's not as scary. Um, but no, I mean it's it's uh, if you can if you can get that kind of emotion and effect out of someone, that's the win. 
Okay, so that's how we relate to fearful stories, how Hollywood uses fear to tell a great story. And hopefully you got some observational ideas about maybe why using fear as a part of your recruiting technique might be something to motivate your recruit. But we also wanted to talk to Drew about how it, it sometimes hampers us from making decisions. And he, he started off this part of the conversation with a great kind of observational story from one of his favorite movies that introduces the whole idea of, of why sometimes fear hamstrings us and ties us up and in, in really causes us not to make correct decisions. And I'm going to relate that back strictly and specifically to coaches and sometimes the way that fear gets a hold of them in the recruiting process that prevents them from making good decisions. Yeah, um, I mean, this is kind of cheesy, but uh, one of my favorite films way back was Point Break. And there's this scene where, you know, the Patrick Swayze character, he played this character called Bodie, and he was talking to Keanu Reeves' character. I forget what he was, but... And he's like some big monologue, and he's going off. And he tells Keanu Reeves' character, fear causes hesitation, and hesitation will cause your worst fears to come true. It's cheesy and it's very 80s-like, but when you really break it down and you think about it, it's it's so true. I mean, fear can can paralyze you. Fear can be caused. Fear can become so great and overwhelming that you're paralyzed and you can't react. You know, in the case of someone getting so scared that their mind is saying one thing, but their feet's doing something else, and they trip and fall. Right. They're they're paralyzed. They're that scared. Right. Um, I think, in a sense of an athlete, that fear could take over an athlete and cause that athlete not to perform. Right. I, I think we all have a certain amount of fear in us. I think fear can definitely drive you. You can definitely take the negative part of fear and use that to drive you to overcome right but i also think for some people that can't handle fear i mean again going back to alfred hitchcock alfred hitchcock had a lot of fears right he was a i mean there were things that like he, he didn't like people he didn't like crowds of people crowds of people freaked him out he he was scared to walk across the room cuz he was fearful that some stranger was going to come up to him and talk to him right he was scared of that. He was scared of police. He was scared of getting. He was scared. He had this, this crazy. I don't know if it was like a nightmare or whatever. But he was scared. That like, he would get, you know, falsely accused of something and get arrested and thrown in jail. Huh. So you know, and he used these things that he was scared of in his own life, and incorporated those into his storytelling, right? Right. And created all that suspense created that fear and an emotion in other people so um yeah it's interesting but it can definitely be a it can definitely as as good as it can be an entertaining thing again you know hollywood is there to entertain we go to scary movies because we want to get that we want to get that that pleasure yeah. that delight from being really scared because those chemicals are kicked out right. and you know, we're delighted and we feel like, oh, that was really scary and it got me going, and right. but it wasn't real. So right. I'm good. I can move on. Right. Yeah. But on the other hand of the spectrum, I think for some, the fear can be, be can become so overwhelming that it causes them to hesitate. It paralyzes them and then they can't perform. 
Okay, so now we have heard Drew Gabreski, Hollywood filmmaker, talk about fear and what it does to an audience, why we love it as a part of our stories, and also how coaches or just individuals, all of us, can sometimes be handcuffed by fear. Even if it's an irrational fear, we get we have a reaction to it, a visceral reaction, and sometimes it's not helpful for us. So it really is a power that can be used either way. It can be a force for motivation, a force for good, or it can be something that really uh, hamstrings us. So to the point where we go screaming and tripping and falling down, and uh, it, it's just not helpful for whatever situation that we're dealing with. And so to wrap things up, I really want to try to give a couple of of uh, of ideas of how coaches should approach fear and how they're using it in in the way that they communicate with with their prospects. So I want to make four points. The first one being that if you're thinking about using fear, understand that it is a motivator. It motivates us into action. And and I almost would say, I, I wish that wasn't the case. I wish we could be rational and logical all the time. And certainly I wish high school prospects could do the same, but they don't. And so there are times when you have seen other coaches perhaps use fear uh, to to motivate action, and you know the one the, the most common thing that comes to mind is the coach who says, "Hey, if you leave campus before you uh, bef- before you go, and if you don't commit to us, then we're going to pull your scholarship." And you know, most of us listening would say that's the wrong way to do it. That's even unethical. It forces the kid into an unfair decision when this is a big decision in their life. And yet, what happens? A lot of the time, the kid will say, the prospect will say. All right, coach, I'll do it. Uh, I'm in. And so that fear is a motivator. And again, it could be a a motivator for a a final decision. What if we tweaked it instead of making an unfair short deadline? What if, if we're talking about the, the topic of deadlines and maybe the aspect of how fear plays into those decisions during deadlines, what if we told them in advance, way in advance, weeks or even months in advance, when your process, when the decision-making time in your program was going to be up and that they would have to make a decision. Well, that I think is is sort of a, a, a way of using fear, but you're doing it a little more ethically than, than again, forcing a kid into making a decision right there on campus uh, when he or she may not be ready. So fear can be used as a motivator. I think that at the core, you think about all the ways that uh, that we kind of succumb to fear in making our own decisions. There's a whole theory in psychology that the retail industry uh, uses when they're trying to get us to buy something, which is the fear of missing out. So there's a limited sale. Uh, you have to act before this certain time. And we do it because we don't want to miss out on that good deal. Um, that is a fear of missing out. And and that's the way that marketers use fear to promote action with us. And in, in many cases, with us as well as your prospect, sometimes fear is used as a motivator as a way to make a decision that they've already made, but it basically is an excuse to take action. So in many cases, we hear in our research, kids will come back and say, you know what, I needed that coach to give me that deadline because I just needed to end it, and and that was the right way uh, to to sort of cause me to end it. So it's a motivator, and that's the first thing that I want to point out as a, as a takeaway from this conversation with Hollywood filmmaker Drew Gabriski. The second thing is that you heard him talk about it. It is a valuable part and an integral part of a story. 
you know, the stories that have no fear in them, uh, they can be interesting, but boy, it's really hard. We react to fear. We react to tension. We react to uh, the, the hero in a story going through something that that is a struggle or causes pain or is just downright fearful. So the question that I would have for you as you're listening to this is how have you or how can you incorporate fear as a part of the story that you tell your recruits? Um, and that can be in many different forms, and it's going to be very specific to your program. So there's really no standard methods of fear that I can give you that that you could incorporate. It's going to be something that um, that you're going to have to figure out for yourself. And of course, we can help you do that if you want to email me ideas or bounce things uh, off of me that you might be thinking of. You can email me dan at dantutor.com. Be happy to talk with you about uh, the ideas that might work for you. But it has to be very specific to your program, so it's difficult to kind of throw out general ideas that would work for everybody. But second point I want to make is that it should be and can be a really valuable part of the story that you tell. Point number three that I took away from the interview and uh, Drew Gabreski's um, observations and, and what he had to say was that it, it fear tends to give us an alternative look at something. It, it makes you think. And what I mean by that is that so much of recruiting communication is, hey, here's everything that's great about our school. Here's everything that is fantastic about coming in and competing for us here in our program. And it almost becomes too sunny and too happy and everything's perfect. And I think teenagers in, you know, in this day and age look skeptic- skeptically if things are too perfect and too organized and because they would view it as something that is maybe not real. Maybe it's a little too produced or, or structured and, and there's the fear then on their part that am I, am I not seeing something that's the bad part of this? So when you introduce fear... I think it gives them that alternative way to think about something, and it also, I think, proves that in, in many cases, if you, for instance, talk about something that, as a team, uh, you're dealing with that's a struggle, or that you know maybe you're coming off of a horrible season, or um, you know some other obstacle that you're enduring, if you talk about that, yeah, it might cause them a little bit of fear, but it also makes it a general, uh, a generally good part of your story that they maybe take a positive reaction to. It's an alternative way to view uh, maybe the decision to make uh, related to, is this the right program for, for me? Um, so fear can be something that causes them to pause and take a separate look at what you're really saying. And, and maybe because you said it a different way, your story resonates and stands out a little more. And and last point I want to make is maybe a question that, that I'll end this whole segment with and this whole episode with, which is to ask the question of your prospects, what are they scared of? And it's a really valuable question because if you think about it, when we know what a prospect and their family are scared of, it might be the key to what motivates them to making a decision. So for instance, are they scared that they're not going to um, be a part of a team or part of a program after all this hard work during high school has, uh, has, has, has happened, has finished. That's a real fear we find in our research among high school athletes is that what if I've worked really hard for this goal and the goal doesn't materialize? Maybe not as many colleges are talking to them as they thought they would, or maybe the ones that they expected that were going to be contacting them aren't contacting them. I can tell you there's a lot of kids 
in the fall, this time of year, in different classes that you're recruiting that are scared to death and fearful that they're not going to be able to play college sports and compete at this level. So in knowing that, how does that then change their motivation? I can tell you one thing that we have found is it tends to, for especially for that sort of that middle plus group, the, the B plus type of athletes that you might be recruiting, um, they are usually ready sooner to make a decision because they know they're on the bubble, they are fearful, and it motivates them to want to act earlier. And what coaches are discovering, many of them, the, the clients that we work with when we sort of set out a strategy for how to get earlier commitments, that's one of the key things that we tend to focus on is who among your recruits are the ones that are ready to make the decisions that are good athletes that will contribute to your program, and are there reasons that we give them that they should make this decision sooner rather than later. So again, going back and asking yourself, what are they scared of? What are your prospects scared of and fearful about? That can become the key to then understanding that's how we motivate them and and make the case for why they should make that decision now. So those are the four points I wanted to make. It's a fascinating topic, and we could probably spend uh, another episode going through uh, all the different ways that fear motivates, uh, but that's going to be it for today. I really want to thank you for listening. I want to thank Drew Gabreski uh, for the time that he took to have a conversation with us. Check out his movie. The link is in the show notes here on the podcast. It is Be Afraid. You can look it up on, uh, on YouTube and get some trailers, and it's available on Netflix and and most of the places that you would find uh, your favorite movies. So take a look at it. Great flick. uh, And we really appreciate his insights. Find ways to use it. Use fear ethically in the way that you tell your story and watch how it motivates your recruit to action. That's going to do it for us today. If you have questions about anything related to recruiting, happy to talk to you about it. Just email me, dan at dantutor.com. You can also go to the website, at dantutor.com for a lot of free information, resources, and other things that you can use to become a better recruiter. Until next time, we really want to thank you for listening. Good luck out there as you recruit in this important time of the year. And thank you for listening to another episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast.